Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. I would ask you to take your Bibles and open to Luke 19. I know we have a lot to say and lots of stuff to talk about, and we've got months to do that. And so uh, there's just a couple things that I want to focus on this morning. Um, before we do, I have something that probably is going to appear very trivial to share with you, uh, but maybe a trivial thing is important now. But uh, actually, this is really trivial. Um, Jeff Johnson made a proposal this week for a Super Bowl Sunday tradition, and, uh, and I think it's a dumb proposal, but uh, I want to share it with you. Anyways, so if you could put the proposal up on the screen, Ken. This is why Jeff is not the pastor teacher. I just want you to know why he's settled where he should be. I'm not about the big Gatorade pour at the end, but uh, I appreciate the sentiment, Jeff. So he's working hard. He's trying to be relevant. <laughs> he said he wants to do that, but he never wants to preach it on Super Bowl Sunday. So. But I do appreciate the sentiment. It is true. There's lots to be excited about in God's Word. And, and today what I want to do is just two things. I want to share with you a little bit about the Canada Mission. Some of you know this. You're very intimately involved. Some of you are not. Uh, some of you are new here, and, uh, and I don't want to necessarily spend a whole lot of time on that because then I want to be in Luke 19, and, uh, and we're going to actually kind of jet trek our way through that whole chapter, which I think will be helpful for us to kind of get a perspective on things. But, but what I want to do for a moment is just kind of bring everybody up to speed because when we talk about this mission to the north, we talk about Canada, and you've heard it come out of my mouth a lot over the years if you've been here. This isn't like my mission. It isn't Ron and Jen's mission. It, it, it's our mission. This is something that our whole church is a part of, that our whole church gets to be a part of, and it's something that I want us to make sure we don't lose sight of, that this is something that we're doing together. And, 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 and to really understand what God is doing here is amazing, and to, to recognize that, you know, oftentimes you can kind of go through life and, and you can rally around lots of things as a church, right? We could rally around a building. We could rally around, you know, events. We could rally around whatever, uh, music. But to rally around something like this is very unique for a local church, very unique. And, and it's a wonderful opportunity for us to rally around something that is clearly given to us uh, by God. And I don't say that in a trite manner. I don't say that in, a, in, a, in any kind of light sort of way. But it is something that I want us to recognize that we're doing together because it is very important and it's pretty amazing work. And my philosophy is that, you know, you just want to be faithful with what God puts before you. Um, you know, I don't oftentimes need to work real hard to search out a lot of things. You know, I, you know it's kind of like, uh, who does God want me to evangelize? Probably the person in front of me, right? I don't have to work real hard. Whatever's put in front of you, just be faithful with it with all you have and and, and I want us as a church to be faithful with this because this is something that came to us as a church. And, and I'll just hit some highlights. On the back table, there's still a few of these magazines, these Ekbalos with this uh, picture of Canada on the cover. If you haven't picked one up, I would suggest you do that. It tells the whole story of the mission. But I just want to hit a few highlights from this just so that you can be up to speed, especially if you're new here in the past few months and you don't know what we're talking about when we reference Canada but it was actually 10 years ago this April that Frank Drown came to our church. Frank was a missionary in Ecuador, 
he worked with Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, and he was involved with that whole situation when they were martyred on the beach. And, and we brought him here in April of 06 to talk about that experience and to talk about that mission situation. It was when that movie, The End of the Spear, came out, and so we brought him here. If you remember that, you, some of you, many of you were here for that. And so when we brought uh, Frank here, you know, we thought it would be just stories of Ecuador, right? You're bringing your veteran missionary with a good story in. He's going to tell the story. It's going to be exciting. And uh, he came to the church, and, and the first thing I had him do when he arrived was we had the, our PTA program, and we had a handful of guys downstairs in the Pastoral Training Academy program. And, and I said, Frank, I'd love for you to meet these guys and, you know, and just inspire them and, and share your story. And he, he, we were at the Fist Building. He walked down the steps of the Fist Building, and he sees these guys, and he looks over, and he says, these are your missionaries to Canada. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And so, and, and if you remember, some of you guys were in this meeting with him. You know, he would talk about Ecuador, but then he would leak every story back to Canada. And he just kept talking about Canada, and he kept saying, this is your mission, you got to do this. And so he was staying at our house, and he was telling me about the stuff they were doing. And, and I, you know, at that point, he was in his mid-80s, and, and I respected him, so I just gave a lot of polite, like, yeah, great, wonderful. Yeah, right. We're going to launch a missionary movement to Northwest Ontario from DeKalb, Illinois, right? So it's like, yeah, whatever. And, but he would call. He would write me letters. He would be like, hey, are you coming? Are you, you know, what, how's it coming? How's the Canada mission coming? Like, what mission? Now, mind you, he tried to start this work in the late 70s. In the late 70s, he, he, he saw about 23 to 25 unreached villages that you can only fly into and made up of Ojibwe, Cree, Oji Cree, Métis, uh, First Nations tribes. And, and he saw these as unreached. And he said, well, i got to reach these things. And for 30 years, he tried to reach them and just kind of hit roadblocks along the way. And, and so I'm thinking, why in the world you, like missionary guy, right? Like you're the missionary guy. You try for 30 years and it doesn't work. Why would a church in Illinois, northern Illinois, you know, be able to do this? But he stayed tenacious on it. Fast forward a few years in the process. Um, we, uh, David Sitton came. David Sitton's the founder of Every Tribe Ministry. If you remember, we brought him in for a missions conference. And, uh, and I was getting to know David. David spent 28 years in Papua New Guinea doing this kind of pioneer church planning stuff. I asked him who one of his missionary heroes were. He said, Frank Drown. I said, oh, hey. That's great. I know him. And in fact, you can help me, David. There's this mission that he wants us to do in Northwest Ontario. Maybe you should take this. And uh, David said, well, hey, man, if Frank Drown hands you a baton, man, you take it. So he handed it to you. You take it. And I'm like, well, you don't understand. I'm not a pioneer veteran. Go out there. You know, you've lived in the bush. You've dealt with headhunters. You've had people throw spears at you. Maybe this is your calling. And, uh, <laughs> and so... He said, no, but I'll help you. You've got the help of our missions agency. I'll help you, but this is your baby. And I'm like, there is nothing here. There's an idea, but there's no plan. And there's inexperience. And I'm calling people up in Canada. And no one's answering. I'm like, nothing's happening, so whatever. I'm like, okay, great. So I kind of blew it off. And uh, a few years later, well, actually that same year, got the chance to meet the Karases and the Clockingays, who are now up there. And I asked them, you know, they were in college. Hey, what do you guys want to do with your life? Hell, we want to be pioneer missionaries. And I said, hey, ever thought of Canada? And they went, no. You know, like, you don't pioneer in Canada, you know. And I'm like, no, seriously, there's these 23 tribes. And I just start selling this thing. 
It just starts coming out, and I'm like, why am I selling this thing? There's nothing there, right? It sounds really exotic, but there's no plan, right? And there's no way to get in, and it's, it's very complex. So, but yet, somehow, they got a little hooked, and it's like, okay, woo, uh-oh, I oversold that. So uh, then, uh, in 2012, God brought the Jessmer family here. Kevin, raise your hand. Jessmer family. Kevin, I meet Kevin and got to know Kevin through another uh, ministry context, and uh, Kevin's from Canada, so I say, hey, Kevin, we got this ministry thing in northwest Ontario, and Kevin's like, oh, you, you know, you got to know people. There's no, you can't get in there. This is it's a complex region. Like, yeah, I know. And he said, you know, but I, I can make some phone calls. Really? All of a sudden, boom, Kevin starts making phone calls. Doors are opening, and now we got locations. So now you got you got a missions agency, you got people, you got location, and suddenly, as they say in the South, it started a jihaw. Okay? Jihaw actually means something, by the way. I did not know that, but it does. It's a horse term. Anyways, I'll explain it to you later. Um, two horses, G and haw, and you want them to walk together, so you get them jihawing, okay? So that wasn't just a crazy Steve moment there. I was actually saying something. Okay? It all began to come together. And uh, when it all came together, it was pretty amazing. And now we were able to send the missionaries up there. And, and now that they're up there, uh, more doors are opening. And, uh, and the opportunity for our church is huge. And I want to tell you why. Because this thing got launched out of here, you are sitting in the international headquarters of the First Nations Canada Ministry Building. Right? This, is, this is the place. If you go upstairs above our offices, don't go this week, I need to clean it. But uh, upstairs above our offices is the headquarters for the Canada Mission. Everything's going to run out of there, and we're going to need some missionaries. I'm going to talk about that at the end. We're going to need missionaries to, to be going up there, about 120 in the next 10 to 15 years. And, uh, and you know what's going to be amazing is that those that come from the United States will have to spend a year here before they go up there. So you guys are going to have a chance to minister to them, and we'll talk about that later. But you're going to have a role in this mission because it's here. This is where it's launched out of. This is where it's happening, and the missionaries are going to come in and out of here. And so, so just as this thing was kind of thrusted on me, I'm thrusting it on you, and we're doing this together because we have a lot of missionaries we've got to train. There's a lot of missionaries that need to spend time here. There's a lot of missionaries that need to get in your homes. There's a lot of missionaries that you're going to be, get to to prayer support. Don't worry, you are not on the hook to financially support them all, but, but to spiritually be in their lives and for our church to work really at the epicenter of this mission, which is an amazing thing because this is how what God designed the church to do. And so we get a chance to do this together. Now the question is, why are we doing this? What would drive this? And that's what drives me to Luke 19. Luke 19, you know, every once in a while as a, as a pastor... I've been preaching for a long time, and in the course of preaching, you know, the Word of God always beats you up every week, and then every once in a while, you get like a watershed chapter, and this is one of those for me. It's one of those ones that, that kind of changed my mindset in how I think about life, and I want to share it with you. Now, here's the reality. There's a lot of verses, so obviously I can't go verse by verse through all, all, all 40-some-odd verses of this, but there are a series of stories here. And what I want to do is I want to summarize these stories until we get to the very last one. And then that very last one is the one we're going to look at, okay? And we're going to spend our time in. Because this particular chapter 
sets up beautifully. In fact, this is one of the times when the chapter breaks work. The very first story of Zacchaeus is directly related to the very last story of this chapter, the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. And in fact, I would say this. You can't understand the cleansing of the temple unless you understand the story of Zacchaeus. The two are so intricately linked in the way that they're put together that everything that happens from the story of Zacchaeus to the cleansing of the temple all set the table for why we need to do this mission. It sets the table and why we need to do this together, why we need to mess up lives because missions is uncomfortable, missions is messy, missions creates discomfort, it, it, it makes things uh, you know, uneasy and, and fearful. And why would you do that? Why would you intentionally mess up your lives when the whole sum of our life is to make it go easier? Right? We don't look for the easiest way to work or the hardest way to work. We don't go to our job and say, hey, boss, give me the most complex thing done in the dumbest way possible and let me do it. Right? We're always looking for the simple, easy way. And yet, when it comes to the kingdom of God, oftentimes the work of extending the kingdom is messy. And you'd say, why would we do that? Why would we do this to ourselves? And Luke 19 gives us the answer to that question in a very powerful way. So here's what we've got. You've got an outline there the mission, the message, the mandate, and all these things. And, and you can use that. I'll probably loosely kind of hang out in that outline. But, but really, if you just kind of follow the storyline, I think this whole thing will make sense to you. But what I want to do, I need to summarize each one of these stories. The first story, verses 1 through 10, is what I'm simply calling the mission. It's the key story. You need to understand the story. And so let me just give you a summary of the story. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Now, kids, we know one thing about Zacchaeus. What do you know? He's a what? Wee little man, exactly, small guy. you got to know that's important to the storyline. It is important to the storyline. And so here's, here's what you have now. You've got Zacchaeus. Now, we know a couple things about Zacchaeus. He is small, and he's a chief tax collector, which makes him the worst of the worst individuals because tax collectors got their own category. When, when the Jews would reference people who were sinners, they would call sinners and tax gatherers. I mean, they got their own category. That's how bad they were. Like, like if you repented of being a tax gatherer, you just became a sinner at that point. That's how bad they saw these guys. And if you were the chief tax gatherer, you were the head mobster. They would have seen you as the mafia, the guy just working the system and taking advantage of people. And so that's who this guy is. So now you need to know that. So now let's pause on Zacchaeus. Let's just follow the storyline. The storyline at this part in Luke is Jesus is making his way from northern Israel down to the south. He's walking, going from city to city to city and, and, and until he gets to Jerusalem where he's going to die on the cross. Jewish customs of that day would be that when you traveled, you would walk from one city to the next city, stay in that city overnight, then walk to the next city, stay in that city, because traveling at night is dangerous. And so once you got to a city, you took up route there for the night and then left the next day. Jesus makes his way to Jericho. So he's close to Jerusalem, makes his way to Jericho, and instead of following the custom of walking into the city and finding a place to stay, he starts walking through the city. Now he's got this following of people. Every city that he has been walking through, people have been gathering because they're all making their way down for the Passover. And so he's got this mob following him, and as he's going through Jericho, he's getting a bigger mob. The amoeba effect is just growing. And so now, he's showing this sign. He's at the starting of the front part of the city, starting to make his way down. 
and he makes his way through the city, which threw everybody off, because why wasn't he staying there? Outside the city of Jericho were sycamore trees. Zacchaeus, who's our wee little man, right? He can't see. He needs to see Jesus. He is like, i got to see this guy. And so he runs to the other side of the city, climbs up the tree. Jesus says, sees him as, he, as he's walking out, I'm going to your house. And everybody went, whoa, of all the places you could stay, why would you stay at his house? This is, this is the abomination. It's, it's horrible. People are grumbling. They're upset with Jesus. He goes to Zacchaeus' house. The text tells us Zacchaeus just starts repenting. Man, I've ripped everybody off. I'm a criminal, and I'm giving my money to the poor. Little side note, if you're studying Luke, Luke 18, the chapter before this, is the story of the rich young ruler. Remember? He kept the whole law perfectly. Jesus said, hey, why don't you give your stuff to the poor? No way. And he walked away. Luke 19, Zacchaeus, he's a rich man. He's a sinner. Boom, gives away 50% to the poor right away. Luke's trying to make a point here, isn't he? Right? You can see that there. Follow that when you're studying Luke. So he gives half of his money away to the poor, and then he goes back to the people that he defrauded in, his, in, his, in Jericho, and he pays them back with interest, 400% interest of what had been stolen from him. I mean, just massive repentance. And Jesus says, salvation's come to your home, and you are a child of Abraham. And he lets all the Jews know these guys, this guy's in the covenant. He's the right guy. And then you have verse 10. Okay? Verse 10. This is the key to understanding Jesus cleansing the temple. Verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Interesting statement. The purpose of the Messiah coming to the world was to actually find the Zacchaeuses and save them. He didn't say the Son of Man came so that if Zacchaeus or if the lost need to be saved, they can come to me and find it. He said, I came to go find them. I'm walking through this whole town, and the only way that I'm going to be able to see Zacchaeus, because he is this little guy, is i got to get to the sycamore trees, because I know that's where he'll be. And then this way I can find him, because this is what my whole mission's about, seeking and saving the lost. To understand Jesus is to understand this is what his work is about. Finding the people who are outside, who, who, who are spiritually far away from God, not physically far away. No one's far away from God physically. Spiritually, so that they could be saved. This is his work. This is his, his mission. If we want to put it in, in our contemporary, you know, Western sense, that's his business. That's the widget he makes. He goes out and seeks people and brings them in. This is what Jesus is about. If you are connected to Jesus, if you're following him as Lord, then you have to be about this because this is what he's doing. You can't say, I'm not part of that. That's someone else's job, but I'm with you, Jesus. That is impossible, right? It'd be like one of my children's being a Packers fan. It just can't happen. It's impossible. This is the reality of who Jesus is. Now, let's move on to the next story. I need to summarize the next story for you. Remember, keep verse 10 in your brain. The next story is the parable of the ten minus. Verse 11 tells us that, that Jesus tells this parable because he knows he's going to Jerusalem next, 
And as he goes to Jerusalem, he knows everybody's going to be thinking, this is the moment of glory. This is the moment like when the eternal kingdom comes and everything's going to be great and no more pain and all the Gentiles are killed off and we have this glorious eternal reign of God. And he says he tells this parable so that everybody would understand that's not what's happening here. That's not at all what's happening. Now, in order to understand this parable, I need to give you a little background, a little context. <clears throat> when the Roman, Roman Empire would conquer a land, what they would do is they would uh, uh, put a king over that land that they conquered. So if they conquered the nation of Israel, they would then find a king and put a king over that land. We today would use the word governor, but in their day they used the word king. Now the way they would select this king is they would get a businessman, somebody who had a lot of money, a lot of business connections, because the Roman Empire believed in a citizen government, and so they, they wanted businessmen to, 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 to take leadership over areas well-connected businessmen. And so what would happen is if you were a well-connected businessman and, uh, and, and the Roman Empire conquered an area, you might get a note from them saying, please come to Rome. We are considering you to be the king of this region. They also would put word out to everybody. We are considering this guy over here to be the king of this region. If you are opposed to him, you're welcome to come and give your opposition at his hearing. So the man would go up and the opponents would go up and they, the, the man would stand and be interviewed by the Senate and then the Senate would also hear the opposing thing and if the, uh, the man gets it and he becomes the king, typically he would kill all those people that opposed him. Okay? So, so you had to really think long and hard before you wanted to oppose the guy. And that's normally what would happen. So, parable of the ten minus is about a nobleman going away to a far country to receive his kingdom. Now, he's a businessman, so here's the parable. The parable is you have a, a nobleman, a guy who runs an, an estate. He's going to go receive a kingdom, and so what does he do? He gives his work to his workers. He gives one guy 10 mina, another guy 5 mina, another guy 1 mina. It's his wealth. It's a chunk of his wealth, and he says, here's a, here's a large portion of my business. Here's a medium portion of my business. Here's a small portion of my business. Go carry out my business. I'm going to Rome to get a kingdom. Along the way, in the parable, he's got guys that are opposing him. He's got guys that are opposing him along the way. And, uh, and so when he gets up there, he's being presented there, and his workers are hanging back, and his workers are doing their job. The guy who had 10 doubled his money. The guy who had 5 doubled his money. The guy who had 1 didn't do a thing with it. He got scared. He got afraid. He got afraid of, the, of, of his boss, he got afraid of, of, of working. He got afraid of investing it, so he buried it. The nobleman comes back. What's he going to do? He's going to say, okay, let's have an accounting. The guy who was 10 doubled, he said, great. The guy who had five doubled it, great. You guys are great. I'm giving you more. You, you, you took my business, and you carried it out further. The guy who had won, he said, what did you do? And he said, the guy who had won said, man, you are just like this mean guy. You're an awful guy. If I... If I, uh, if I had lost any of your money, you probably would have killed me. You're just, you're just you're so judgmental. So I buried it. So here's your one talent pack. And the, the guy says, man, you've just, you're not even thinking straight. He says, you are worthless. You are wicked. You are horrible. I'm going to take this away from you. You know why? Because you should have at least put it in the bank, duh. How could you take what I've given you and do nothing with it? That's horrible. And so what do we have? We've got some results that come, right? There's rewards to those who do his business. 
then there's loss to those who don't do his business because he takes it away, condemns them. And then all those who opposed him as king in the story, he killed them. And there's destruction to those who don't want him to be the king. And that's the parable. And he's saying, this is what you need to be, how you need to be thinking about me as I enter into Jerusalem. This is what's happening. See, what's going to happen is I'm going to walk in, and it's not going to be about the glorious arrival of the final kingdom. It's going to be about me going and preparing a place and me giving you a task, and those enemies that are against me are going to, they're going to face persecution, but you need to carry on my business. Now, the question is, what is the business of the Messiah? So if this were a Bible test and I were to say, what is the business of the Messiah? You would say, to seek and save the lost, right? That's his business. That's the minor. Now, each one of us is given a certain portion of that role, but that's the work. So you either invest it or you bury it. We know what happens. Or you oppose it. If you oppose it, not good. If you bury it, not good. You do something with it, good. That's the point. So now, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Triumphal entry. Everybody's excited. Of course, they're seeing it wrong. But Jesus is accepting the praise because he is the king, even though he weeps for them. You guys have no idea what's going on. If you only knew really what was happening here. His opponents are coming, and his opponents are attacking him. And, uh, and he, of course, stands firm. But then he goes into the temple. Okay? So now we're at verse 45. After he enters in, he weeps because these guys didn't understand it. They didn't see what was happening. They weren't really operating. He knew destruction was coming. It's a very heavy moment for him. But then the next thing he does in verse 45, look at verses 45 and 46. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now what's going on here? Just a little background to help you understand this moment. The Jews had, had a sacrificial system. And that sacrificial system, if you read through the Old Testament, required killing animals that were certain kinds of animals, right? So it's very complex. You had to get certain kinds of doves and certain kinds of pigeons and certain kinds of lambs, and, and everything had to be a certain way. And if you were living way up north in Israel, it could be really hard for you to find some of those animals. It could be hard for you to transport those animals down to the temple if you're going down to sacrifice, trying to keep these things alive. And so initially the Jews said, hey, we have this great idea. We can just let all of the the, um, the priest's sons be, or I mean the priest's, uh, yeah, the priest's sons be farmers, and uh, and they can take care of all the animals for the uh, for the temple. And then if you're living way up north and you take the seven day journey down south, when you come down, we'll have an animal waiting for you. So it started that way. It's a real generous thing. And then they started saying, you know, we could actually sell some of these animals, <laughs> you know, and help cover some temple expenses. And, and then once you start selling things, it's easy to start raising prices, right? I mean, as soon as it becomes a business, then it becomes a bigger business. And, and then all of a sudden it becomes something from just covering costs to becoming a profit-making machine. And then suddenly it's a whole operation where they got to the point where they weren't even allowing people to bring their own animals in. You had to use our animals, and you had to pay a pretty penny for them. Now Jesus sees this going on. But he's not just upset about that selling of the animals. 
If the only issue is the second half of Jesus' statement, but you have made it a den of robbers, you have missed it. What is the first thing he says? He quotes scripture. And the scripture he quotes is, my house shall be a house of prayer. Now what scripture does he quote? Look at Isaiah. Well, you don't have to turn there, but it's Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56, verses 6 and 7. God is talking to the nations in Isaiah 56. Here's what he says to them. He says, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Now, the translation of that word peoples, as I read it there, is actually nations. Nations. Here's what he's saying. God is saying, anybody from any nation in the world that wants to come and worship me, I've created a space in the temple for him. In fact, the largest courtyard in all of the temple was called the Court of the Gentiles, the Court of the Nations. God created the nations in Genesis 11, right? And then what, sorry, my microphone's just giving me a hard time here. What was the first thing that happened in Genesis 12 after he created the nations? He told Abraham, a seed's coming through you to bless the nations. For emphasis, okay? <laughs> For emphasis, a seed is coming to bless the nations. This is God's vision. I lost count, but somewhere, I don't want to give numbers, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in the Old Testament, God said, my glory is to be made known among the nations. Hundreds of times. He designed a spot in the temple for the nations so that they could come and pray. And when these guys decided to set up their little criminal enterprise for themselves, they didn't care about the nations. They said, we don't care about that. We care about ourselves. We care about what we're doing. We care about what's, this, this money's going to help us repair our temple. This money's going to help us do this. This money's going to help us do this. And the space that God said, listen, I've, I've given the largest amount of square footage to the nations. Why? Because I have a heart for them. I made them. I want to save them. And yet, all you could think about was yourself. And you got so narcissistic that this thing became a criminal enterprise. As you're ripping off your own countrymen, you're worse than a task addict. And in fact, that's the irony of the whole story. Zacchaeus was considered the worst of all sinners because he was a task addict, ripping off his own people. And their own priests are doing the same thing. And they're doing it in the space designed for the nations. God, Jesus is ready to die on a cross so the nations could hear it and be saved. And then we take that news and hold it in the ground. And Jesus says, if you do that, you're worthless and wicked and not worthy to be part of my kingdom. When I studied that two years ago, it beat me up like it's beating me up now. And I thought, this is it. The whole point of our existence is to take that mission. And if God has given us this mission to these brothers and sisters to the north, then let's take the talents we have and invest it. Let's take what we've been given 
and invest it. Why would we hold it in the ground? Why would we do that? When we know how Jesus feels about that. Why would we take our building that we have and just use it for ourselves when we could headquarters a place to help seek and save the lost? Why would we do that? Why would we sit in one spot and just build up empires to ourselves and build a comfortable life when Jesus said, this is the mission I've given to you, and when I come back, I'm, I'm going to settle up accounts, and I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, not you working in worthless, wicked one. I put this before you, and you did nothing with it. I don't want to do that. So what does that mean? Let's just sum it up here, some points here to think about. Number one, Jesus is on a mission to seek and save the lost. That is how you define Jesus. When Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This is what he's talking about. This is what he's saying. I'm Lord. You can't say, God, I did all these things for you. He's going to say, listen, you got to do what I'm telling you to do. It's not for you to tell me what you did for me. It's for you to do what I'm doing, which is to seek and save the lost. And when we're saved... All these songs about grace we sung is our calling to mission. We're all in this mission. Now, not all of you are going to go where I'm going or do what I'm doing, but we're all part of this. It's our commissioning service. It's not mine or the Karis's or anyone else's. And we are called to carry on this work until the end of the age, until he returns. Until he returns. Because this is God's heart from the beginning. And we cannot take what God has designed to make his name known to the nations and use it for our own business. He's come to seek and save the lost. He's given that mission to us. And we need to be careful that we don't build our own little den of iniquity, den of robbers, by being self-focused. And so what I want to do is I want to be faithful with the opportunities that God has put before me, I want us to be faithful with what God's put before us. This is what he's put before us, so let's do it, right? Let's do it. Let's be aggressive with it. Let's put our all in it. Why not? You got one vapor, right? One vapor of life. Let's not use it for ourselves. So, four things. I got four things that I want to put out here. And then I've actually asked Jeff Johnson to come and pray for these four things before our closing song here. But four things I want, I want us to think about. The first thing is very specific. I would, I'm asking you to pray. And here's what I'm asking you to pray for. I'm asking you to pray for 120 missionaries to go to the north. Missionary units, we could call it. A family's a unit. A single person's a unit. I want you to pray. We need 120. Now, we got a little slide up here. We had a little slide up here. It'll come back. Um, I have a slide up here with 120 little guys. We got two units up there already, Karis's and Clocking Gays. So we're down to 118, okay? We got three missionary units coming. Units, that sounds very, like, uh, non-relational, doesn't it? We got three people coming from to every tribe in the next, on, on February 28th. They'll be here that are going to be going up and exploring Canada. I want you to pray that God would stir their heart and that they would go, right? I mean, I want you to pray hard. So then we're down. I, I'm, I'm already done with the math on this, so we're down to whatever minus three is, okay? Steve Chalgren will fill you in on the math later. We have Tim Ritter. Now you say, well, Tim Ritter, what are you talking about? Tim's been stirred. 
and, and Lord willing, maybe in the process of getting some training and, and going through this process of, of maybe being the next missionary sent from here to Canada. Isn't that great? So that, 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 so that's four more. So that's six. So I'm done with the math. Whatever 120 minus six is, is we're 114? Yeah? Thank you. So <clears throat> let's pray. Let's pray for this. I really want you to pray for it. And I'd like you to pray very specifically for it. Not all 120 will come from the states. We want to pray that they'll come out of the nations there. Right? But all the ones that come from the state, here's the amazing thing, and this leads us to the second thing I'm asking you to do, is to invest. Those that come from the states will all have to spend a year here. And you're going to have an opportunity to invest your life into these missionaries. These missionaries are going to have to get some family training. And so they're going to need to be in your homes to understand family. They're going to have to understand parenting issues. They're going to have to understand how to fix things. They're going to have to understand how to fix their own toilets. They're going to have to understand a lot of stuff practically, a lot of stuff spiritually, and, 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 and you get an opportunity to invest into them as they spend a year here. And so I'm going to ask you to consider that. And on the 28th, Jeff mentioned the 28th, on that meeting, I want to talk more about that and, and our role together in working towards that end for this mission. The third thing I want to challenge you with is to share, is to share. I would like for you to join the missionaries by praying for one person in your neighborhood because here's the challenge I would like for you to do. I would like for you to send missionary letters to our missionaries. I would love for you to share, send a letter to Ambria saying, hey, pray for me. I'm sharing the gospel with my neighbor right now. Pray for me. There's somebody at work. I want to give you an update on how it's going as I'm seeking to be salt and light in my community or salt and light in this community program or salt and light in my school or wherever it is. Let's get the, let's get the missionary letters going in both directions because this is our mission. It's not their mission. We don't send people so that we don't have to go. We're all part of the process. And I'd like for you to share in it and looking for opportunities and, and to begin to think of yourself of the fact that, that, that you might have a different calling than, than the Karises who are up in Canada or Ambria who's in India. You might have a different calling than them, but you're just as called. You're just as called. And if you bury it in the sand, you'll know that that's not a good thing in the end. It's not what Christ has called us to do. And then finally, I want you to remember something. Do not forget to pray for Todd Kelly and Milan Mikelko and Ambria Minor. These are all people, right? The only mission of the church isn't, isn't Canada. Milan will be here next week, actually, coming into town with his wife. So let's pray for all of our missionaries so that, uh, that we recognize that, that we're all part of this work because Jesus has come to seek, to go out and find those so they can be saved and brought into the kingdom. Jeff, why don't you pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we gather before you and we start with a simple thank you for your mighty word. Thank you that your spirit that wrote that word is active within us. Thank you that we have before us uh, an example of a right response to your word. And I ask right now that you would use your word as deeply in all of us as you've done it in Steve through this passage, that wherever it is that you intend to us and for us to invest, that you would grip our hearts and rearrange our lives so that we can be about what you are about. 
Father, I ask that um, Ambria and Ron and Jen and Tim and Steve would be merely a, a down payment on the return that you receive for what you have invested in Kishwaukee Bible Church. And so I ask that we would have the privilege and the joy of more and more people saying, God is moving me to go gather up his nations for his glory and honor. And so we ask that you would, that you would move people. I ask that those of us that, that don't go, would you work in our home life to order it so that we can be a blessing to those that are going, so that we can invest in them? Would you uh, order our marriages and our families and our schooling choices and lifestyles and everything so that we can contribute well to your purpose, Jesus, of seeking and saving the lost. I ask that you would um, burden us with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our family members that don't know you, so that as we stay, we don't stay because it's easy, but we stay because this is where you intend for us to put flesh to your kingdom and to make you known so that Jesus gets his reward from right here as well. And God, I pray that we would, as, as a people, when we, are, when we are home and when we are gathered back together, would you create within us an anticipation and an expectation of the day that we gather before your throne with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And we get to meet brothers and sisters from all these tribes that you saved because you moved missionaries to go. And we have eternity on the new earth to hear of all that you did and to join and to worship. Jesus, you are worth it. And we are grateful that you win. That your purposes will be accomplished. And we are grateful for the privilege of being a part of what you are doing. Thank you for taking Steve and Heather and the children. Thank you for working within them to so that they would obey your call and they would go. And we ask that all of us at KBC would be equally obedient in everything that you call us to, whether it's to go or whether it's to stay. And we thank you for King Jesus. Thank you that we get to come boldly to the throne of grace, that we have access and we long to bring others with you, that King Jesus would be greatly glorified. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Kishwaukee Bible Church. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H, bible.org.